Prime Minister, distinguished guests, students, members of the press and friends of the LSE. I'm Professor Janet Hartley and it's an honour to be here today as one of the pro-directors of the LSE to welcome you all to the LSE campus and to chair this evening's lecture. Tonight's event is part of the LSE's European Institute and APCO Worldwide Perspective on Europe lecture series. We're very grateful to APCO for their continued support of this lecture series. It's a great pleasure this evening to welcome Pietro Necius to the LSE. Mr. Necius was sworn in by the President in July 2010 and his government gained a vote of confidence by the Parliament in August 2010. Pietro Necius leads the Civil Civic Democratic Party, the ODS. Prior to becoming Prime Minister, Pietro Necius served as a Minister of Labour and Social Affairs and as Deputy Prime Minister from 2006 to 2009. He has been a Member of Parliament since 1992 and he's held a number of positions in the committees focused on NATO, defence issues and the European Union. <coughs> we very much look forward to the Prime Minister's speech this evening. Given the continued economic challenges facing the European and the global economy today, today's speech could not be more timely. For those Twitter users in the audience, and by that I mean everybody under the age of 50, <laughs> the hashtag for today's event is at LSE Europe. As usual, after the lecture, there'll be a chance for you to put your questions to the President, but now please will you join me in welcoming Prime Minister Pietro Necius of the LSE, who will deliver his lecture on the topic of growth for Europe resuscitating the single market. Distinguished guests, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great honor for me to be here and a great privilege uh, to have the opportunity to, to talk to you here at the London School of Economics and Political Science today. As an institution, the LSE reputation reaches far beyond the borders of the United Kingdom. The school's academic community and excellent curriculum create a unique intellectual environment and an ideal place for reflection of the key issues we are currently facing. Let me focus my speech on Europe. In the next minutes, I will mention five challenges which Europe needs to address if it wants to secure its position in the world. First, I'm going to talk about Europe's changing place in the dynamic global system. Second, about the benefits of open markets and free trade for the EU. And thirdly, about the needs to increase competitiveness of our products. In the fourth part, I will concentrate on the single market. And finally, I will shortly touch upon the next multi-annual financial framework. The current development in Europe leaves no doubt that the continent's position in the world is undergoing a radical shift. We are struggling to find a way to restore sustainable economic growth and to succeed amid the rising global economic competition. Europe seeks a new role in the changing geometry of global power and geoeconomic and geopolitical balance. In this context, the present difficult economic development and turbulent financial markets pose a truly pressing threat. An economic crisis can destabilize and damage a country in these days more than anything else. Furthermore, it can increase the potential of other risks. 
if left unsolved, an economic crisis may spill over into a political one, and in extreme cases, even to a crisis of democracies. It may be painful to admit it, but many of our long-held assumptions and beliefs confirmed in the past decades by economic development are under threat today. Take, for instance, our belief that the world will always demand Europe's products, or that Europe has enough jobs for its people, or that our standards of living will always increase, or above all, our confidence that European states will always be among the global economic and political leaders whose values will be universally accepted. One by one, these views are being called into question. Let me give an example. If the current trends continue, the leading EU states could fall out of the world's top 10 most powerful economies list by the middle of the century. The recession whipped out four years of Europe's economic growth, and our annual growth rates are now considerable, lower than they used to be. Without strong, sustainable growth, our future is less secure, and the European social model will become unattainable in the long run. If we want a prosperous Europe, we need to concentrate on competitiveness and productivity. We need to open our economies to the world and fully unleash the potential of global free trade. It is essential that we identify the bottlenecks and understand what is holding us back so that we can address our barriers to growth. Protectionism and obstacles to free trade represent our one such barrier. Many people worry in this regard about the flooding of Europe with cheap goods from all over the world, especially Asia. A wave of protectionism is rising in many parts of Europe in response to this issue. Let me put it straight. Recourse to protectionist policy and to strong orientation on domestic demand are not viable strategies. Whereas, as it seems, the rest of the world can already live without Europe's demand. Our stability and growth are dependent on trade interaction with other major world economies. Autarky, the isolation of European markets from the rest of the world would, in my view, inevitably lead to the continent's overall decline. Instead, we must diversify our export and promote them more strongly. If we open for new markets and proactively and assertively access new sources of wealth, the benefits will soon be visible. Free, fair, and open trade is a strong stimulus for growth and employment. According to the European Commission, conclusion of all the, the ongoing trade negotiation between the EU and third countries could annually contribute up to 90 billion euro to EU GDP. This year, the EU should conclude free trade agreements with India, Canada, countries of the Eastern neighborhood, and with a number of ASEAN states. Free trade negotiation with Japan should also commence this summer. Nonetheless, more activity is needed still. For instance, in comparison with Russia and the United States, the EU pays 
insufficient attention to participation in the East Asia Summit. Moreover, a representative of the EU was missing at the last ASEAN summit. It is very important to show our presence and our interest for Asian markets also symbolically. At the same time, economic cooperation and trade with the US is equally important. We should therefore explore all possible options of strengthening our economic relation, including an EU-US free trade agreement. And finally, there is China. Given its contribution to global growth and its ever-increasing role in the global system, China must not be left out from our strategic consideration. It is necessary to establish a consistent approach to our trade and investment relationship with China with a view to strengthening our economic ties while not completely forgetting other political issues as well. At first sight, it may seem strange that as a prime minister of a relatively small country in the heart of Europe, I'm calling for free trade regimes with third countries. But the Czech Republic is a very open, pro-export-oriented economy with an export to GDP ratio of almost 80%. However, 83% thereof is heading to the EU, particularly into the Euro area, which makes Czech economy extremely dependent on the development in the Euro area and therefore vulnerable. Hence, it is in our interest to diversify our export in order to stabilize our economy. And this is true for the Czech Republic as well as for the EU as a whole. We cannot boost our export if our goods are not competitive. Therefore, the enhancement of competitiveness across the continent must be another key goal along with orientation on high-quality products and cutting-edge technologies. The currently predominant orientation in the EU on austerity and budgetary consolidation are indispensable and right indeed. Nonetheless, in end of themselves, these measures are not sufficient to restore economic growth. They need to be complemented by rational support of competitiveness and demand. Of course, as the last month's experience clearly show us, if the monetary union is to survive in the future, it needs to be transformed into a fiscal union. But even as a fiscal union, it cannot function properly if the problems of many member states with competitiveness persist. The next step will have to be the creation of a union of growth and competitiveness. In this endeavor, the Euro area will surely find a strong support among the non-Euro area member states. The competitiveness and growth agenda can act actually be a uniting point in the relation between EU17 and EU27. For it is paradoxically, to a great extent, the non-Euro area member states, which are today much more open to cooperation in competitiveness and growth issues, represented by the single market than the so-called core states of the euro area. The internal market has proven a reliable and efficient tool for security, prosperity, and economic growth. Personally, I find it quite unfortunate 
that it is nowadays being overshadowed by various grow-enhancing declaration, PACs, and bailout mechanisms. This replacement of a well-operating single market, often presented under seducing names, are in many cases nothing more than a hollow declaration expressing the politicians' wishes for painless job creation and growth. We cannot build our prosperity from political declaration and never-ending summits. Instead, we must concentrate our efforts on real measures and take concrete steps in removing the barriers to the proper and effective functioning of the internal market and its for freedom. They form the very core of European integration. What we certainly do not need are new taxes limited to the EU, further petrification of social security system or introduction of more and more anti-discrimination directives, which only burden entrepreneurs and rigidify our labor markets. The EU today is not a monolithic structure of uniform states, but a community of members with diverse economic, social, cultural, and other traditions and specifics. These interests correspond with various levels and methods of integration in different areas, preferred by individual member states. The euro area, for instance, has naturally quite special needs and requirements. These interests are obviously different from those of member states not participating in the monetary union. A multi-speed Europe is a reality. Although it would be perhaps better to speak about a variable geometry approach or about a Europe a la carte principle. The word speed is misleading here as it presupposes that all states are going to the same destination at various speeds. But in fact, each state should be allowed to decide freely on a satisfactory level of European integration, whether or not to engage, for instance, in a fiscal or tax union, provided there are solid enough common foundation on which to build. The single market is and must remain such a common base even though it is still far from being perfect. In this regard, I fully welcome the recent joint letter that the Czech Republic sent along with the United Kingdom and 10 other member states to the presidents of the European Council and the European Commission. The letter mentions concrete topics and measures in the internal market area to be taken nationally and at the EU level without delay. I hope that it will be reflected in the upcoming European Council conclusion and help return the international market high on the EU's agenda. First, we must liberalize the internal market in services, which at present account for almost four-fifths of our European GDP. Restrictions that hinder access to the services markets and competition need to be lifted rapidly. We must also improve the standards of implementation and enforcement of the single market acquis. In this respect, it is absolutely necessary to fully implement the services directive and ensure its enforcement in all member states. In my view, 
all of the restrictive practices that are permitted under the services directive should be subject to a strict new proportionality test. Measures that cannot be justified should be then abolished accordingly. Besides services, the digital single market is another key agenda that requires our increased attention. Despite rapid expansion of the digital economy, there are still considerable obstacles hampering its full blossom, such as low cross-border trade or different national copyright regimes. The EU should encourage businesses and consumers alike to trade online with confidence by simplifying licensing procedures, building an efficient cross-border copyright framework, and establishing a secure and affordable system for cross-border online payments. Another important component of the internal market is the market with energy. We must deliver on our commitment to complete it by 2014. All member states should therefore implement the third energy package in full and without delay. In Europe, wants to remain competitive, it must pay particular attention to the area of innovation. Global competition is getting fiercer all the time and the only way to succeed is to focus on research and innovation. Europe has had the ambition to be a leader in this area, but so far it lags behind. We should not give up this effort, but increase our commitment to supporting innovation. The completion of the European research area should be our goal in this respect, which would create the best possible environment for entrepreneurs and innovators to commercialize their ideas. Additionally, we must put demand-led innovation at the head of Europe's research and support small innovative businesses with creating accessible venture capital regimes. Furthermore, there is one specific problem that hinders entrepreneurs and thus economic growth, and that is excessive EU regulation. We need radical cuts in bureaucracy. It is good news that EU institutions made their commitments to reduce administrative burden on the smallest businesses. However, further and faster progress is required. All legislative proposals should be scrutinized with regard to their impact on creating additional regulatory burdens. In addition to cutting red tape, I find it equally important to act both at the domestic and EU level to promote well-functioning and flexible labor markets which deliver employment opportunities. Finally, we should also foster labor mobility within the EU and take further action to reduce the number of regulated professions in Europe. All the above-mentioned issues should be solved rapidly if we want to develop the internal market further. The approach to the internal market is an indicator. It shows to a great extent whether the EU truly wants to endeavor on the path of competitiveness and growth and, in doing so, remain a significant world player or whether it will isolate and wither. 
Besides the internal market agenda, there is another important ongoing discussion, which I would like to briefly mention here, namely the next multi-annual financial framework past 2013. The EU budget clearly needs reforming. It must be much more growth and competitiveness oriented. In the times of crisis, all member states must adopt austerity measures and so should the EU. Furthermore, the crisis has also revealed that generous payment from the cohesion and common agriculture policy funds have not always brought prosperity to its re recipients. On the contrary, in many cases, this money has acted as a sweet poisson. Instead of promoting competitiveness of the target member state, the funds were often spent on profligate activities, sometimes distorting the ordinary functioning of whole industry branches or distracting domestic resources from the real problems. I do not mean to say that common agriculture policy or cohesion policy should be abolished entirely. But under the new circumstances, they need to be much more efficient and focus on providing real added value and delivering results. The administration of the funds should be better controlled and the cost-benefit ratio should be a major criterion in choosing particular projects. Cohesion policy should concentrate only on the least developed regions and member states and focus on projects that truly enhance competitiveness and growth. We can no longer afford to build highways leading from nowhere to nowhere or maintain uncompetitive European farmers to produce subsidized foods only to buy it back and distribute it to European poor. Our main task is to reform the EU budget to correspond with the new challenges Europe is facing. This crisis has uncovered all the deficiencies built in the present institutional framework of the EU and particularly of the Euro era. On the other hand, it is a powerful incentive to speed up or implement the long postponed measures necessary to overcome the difficulties and emerge strength from the crisis. It is also an opportunity to rethink our priorities and return to the fundamentals of European integration, above all, the internal market. I am glad to be here today in the United Kingdom, a country which has always been a strong advocate of free trade, of the single market, and of the economic growth agenda. I am convinced that this role of the United Kingdom is irreplaceable and that it will always remain a key actor in the EU to promote the above-mentioned priorities. Ladies and gentlemen, this year we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the internal market. Let us, let us not miss the opportunity to significantly develop it further. Together with other countries and other like-minded member states, I am convinced that we can succeed. It is high time for us to do so. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much.
Prime Minister, for such a, a wide-ranging and a thought-provoking uh, talk. We're now open uh, for questions. We've got Prime Minister has very kindly agreed to answer questions for about 30 minutes. I'll probably take them two or three at a time, but you, you'll interrupt me and stop me if you want to answer a question. And we have a, a, a translator here, an interpreter here as well. Uh, so, please, can I have some questions from the floor? I'll start right at the back there with the first question, please. You at the back, in the cheap seats. Dobryden, unrelated to the market, there have been thousands of Czech students protesting in Prague and around the country. What are you doing to ensure that Josef um, Dobesh and your government is making sure that their concerns are heard? Okay, thank you. And I'll take uh, you, please. Yes. <laughs> and I'll take one more after this, if that's okay. Please, yeah. Uh, Prime Minister, thank you very much for coming here tonight. Uh, you mentioned that one of the priorities should be implementing the single market directives as soon as and as well as possible. But yeah, it is your government and your country that is failing to do this. The Czech Republic is one of the worst performing when it comes to implementing and uh, implementing these directives on time and properly. So I was wondering what are you doing wrong? Uh, why is it that the Czech Republic is on the very end of the scoreboard of the European Union single market? Want to answer those two. Should I take one more question? Go ahead. I'll take one more question. All right, I'll take you, sir. Prime Minister, um, English is the official language and the only official language of international aviation. Um, would it boost growth in Europe if English were the only official language in Europe? And, <laughs> And do you regard the English College in Prague, um, composed as it is of 80% Czech students, managed by Prague parents and the people they elect, with assistance from uh, retired head teachers from the best of English public schools in a minority standing in the wings? Um, and I ought to commend the English College on the enormous success of its students entering universities here in the United States, Canada and throughout the English-speaking world. Okay, thank you. You've got three very different questions there. I'll, I'll let you choose the, the order in which you, you answer them. <laughs> so, uh, Vláda České republiky chce provést celou řadu reform. Jednou z nich je i reforma univerzitního vzdělávání. So the Czech government intends to, sir, can you hear me? Intends to uh, introduce a number of reforms, and uh, uh, one of them, or several of them, actually uh, relate uh, to uh, the reform of the university uh, system in the Czech Republic. Potřebujeme zvýšit kvalitu našeho univerzitního vzdělání, protože Česká republika během 20 let zaznamenala transformaci od univerzitního vzdělání, které bylo elitního typu, které mělo zhruba 12% našich obyvatel k masově poskytovanému 
univerzitnímu vzdělání, kam dneska nastupuje více než 60% populačního ročníku. So uh, we first of all aim at improving the quality of the university education. For the past 20 years, our country has undergone rapid uh, and uh, uh, tremendous changes uh, because in the past uh, 20 years ago, uh, university education was in fact a kind of elite type of education. Only 12% of the population was university educated. Nowadays, it is actually 60% of all the high school graduates who actually decide and then later on study at the university at the moment. Potřebujeme v současné době klást větší důraz na kvalitu a proto potřebujeme i naše univerzity více diversifikovat. So we aim at improving quality and that also uh, requires diversification of our uh, university education and system. To znamená mít univerzity, které jsou uh, velmi silně propojeny se systémem vědy a výzkumu na jedné straně a současně vysoké školy, které poskytují především profesně orientované vzdělání, orientované na trh práce. Uh, so we uh, need to diversify our universities. First of all, we, we need to marry university education with research and development. And at the same time, we need to develop our professional university education in order to answer the questions and needs of the labor market. Součástí toho je i zvýšení proporce soukromých prostředků při financování vysokého školství a to jak v oblasti vědy a výzkumu tak v oblasti finanční spolúčasti studentů. And this leads us to the question of financing of the university education. I think uh, we should open the question of uh, more uh, private uh, finances participation in the university uh, system uh, whether it should come from the research and development and private sphere or also from the students themselves. Skutečností také je, že tyto změny nebyly dobře komunikovány s představiteli akademické obce. It is true that uh, some of those changes were not very well communicated to the representatives of the academic sphere or circles. Včetně tedy vysokoškolských studentů. And of course the university students themselves. Já jsem přesvědčený, že jak vládě, tak akademické obci jde o to, abychom měli kvalitnější univerzity a že se nakonec shodneme na průchozí podobě těchto pozitivních reform. But I think that all parties concerned uh, aim at achieving the same goal, uh, improving the quality of our education, university education system, and I'm truly confident that at the end of the day we'll be able to find a common language. Co se týče uh, Implementace směrnic, které se týkají vnitřního trhu, ano, tady uznávám, máme velké rezervy a musíme se polepšit. Well, as far as the implementation of the internal markets directive uh, and directives in general, I think uh, really uh, we are uh, uh, yeah, lagging behind and we need to improve our performance. Na druhé straně, já musím připomenout, že Česká republika musela vlastně v minulém desetiletí během několika let přijmout obrovský balík legislativy, který se v Evropské unii přijímal po desítky let a tím pádem samozřejmě tady jistý deficit je přirozený. However, I would like to also explain that uh, in the past two decades the Czech Republic has to under, uh, undergo a very, very uh, uh, difficult and cumbersome process of adopting a huge pile of legislation which took tens of years uh, in, in, in other countries of Europe to, to adopt. So this is also where this kind of deficiency might come from. Uh, 
a English as a official language. I I would say it's it's a good idea, but I am Czech Prime Minister, so try to to tell so to German Prime Minister, especially to French Prime Minister. I would like to hear his answer. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, you yes, thank you. Thank you very much. I would like to ask you about the multi-speed Europe you talked about. You were saying every country should decide at which speed it should integrate. Um, now, you're not going to be part, as same as the UK, of the fiscal pact that's going to be talked about tomorrow. If the Eurozone countries would decide to move forward and create a fiscal union, would you let them go ahead? Okay, I'll take a question here, please. Thank you very much for your speech, uh, Prime Minister. You indicated that you think uh, a greater integration, a deepening of European Union is necessary in terms of fiscal integration, in terms of competitiveness integration. Obviously, with a deeper union, there's also a greater risk that countries will not be able to meet the standards that are set for them. What do you think is a suitable course of action to take in cases where countries don't meet the requirements set out by treaties? Uh, and in particular, could you uh, say a few words on the situation in Greece now? Take one more question, yeah. Just at the back, please. Yes, you, please, madam. Yeah. Someone bring a mic. Someone will bring a mic, then, then we can hear. Um, with China Business News. So as we know, the G20 has already set the expansion of the Eurozone firewall, firewall as the condition for um, increasing IMF resource to support Europe. So, and the EU leaders are also going to talk about this tomorrow. So uh, my questions are, do you think it's necessary for EU to s expand the firewall? Um, and uh, how do you think China should help Europe through IMF or through EFSF or ESM? And also last, um, do you think the Euro will survive long enough for your country to join it? Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. You've got some good questions there. <laughs> Three good questions. <laughs> I think we need to give the Prime Minister some a moment. <laughs> so, as I already said, uh, I don't prefer to talk about multi-speed Europe. The only thing we, what I've already said was that um, the best way would be, let's say, to talk about variable uh, geometry. And from this point of view, I can imagine a situation when, we, uh, when uh, it will be necessary to uh, implement some minimum level of uh, single legislation and then to, to make a choice a la carte. For example, somebody uh, is a part of, uh, of monetary union, somebody not. Somebody is a part of Schengen system, somebody not. So we can create, let's say, some system a la carte. I do think that it will be the future of, of Euro Europe, sim simply the flexible, flexible European Union. Uh, when we take into account the situation concerning uh, uh, concerning uh, fiscal uh, compact, uh, 
Uh, I'm absolutely sure that uh, lesson learned from, from the last year, um, uh, we must say that, that uh, monetary union can't work without, without fiscal union. The different question is whether, for example, the Czech Republic would like to join Eurozone as a fiscal union. Because next step after fiscal union will be, to be fully honest, tax union. And this is something uh, what is very strange from our point of view. So uh, we will not sign a fiscal compact as a Czech Republic. Uh, and uh, we will simply see what will happen with Eurozone. <laughs> but, but at the same time, we have been so strongly connected with Eurozone economically that it has been, it is, and it will be strong national interest to, to see Eurozone uh, in good situation. So this is the reason why... Uh, why we can support uh, all necessary steps to stabilize Eurozone, but it's not necessary for the Czech Republic to join Eurozone immediately or in medium term. Uh, Já jsem přesvědčený, že co se, týče, co se týče základních podmínek integrace, tak všechny členské země musí být schopny plnit ty základní požadavky. So as far as uh, the basic criteria of integration or deeper European integration is concerned, I think that all the countries or all the member states must fulfill or meet the basic criteria. V ekonomické oblasti podle mého hlubokého přesvědčení musí být základním systémem skutečná fiskální disciplína. Uh, in the economic area it is my deep conviction that needs to be a very strong fiscal discipline. It is a must. Uh, skutečná fiskální disciplína, ale nebude zavedena, pokud pravidla nebudou vymahatelná. However, there'll be no true fiscal discipline in place unless these requirements or this criteria is enforceable or are enforceable. Já jsem přesvědčený, že je nutné zavést systém v případě především rozpočtových schodků a nárůstu, nárůstu dluhu, který by vedl k systému automatických sankcí. Uh, so I'm an advocate of a, a system that would uh, take into account situations in which there would be a breach of uh, budgetary discipline, or budgetary deficit, an increase in debt of, of the country or in debtness of the country, which would trigger automatic sanctions. Mimochodem, tento problém takzvaný fiskální kompakt neřeší. By the way, uh, the so-called fiscal compact does not actually answer these problems. Například v sobě vůbec nezahrnuje dluhové kritérium, ale pouze kritérium deficitu. So, for instance, there's no debt criteria uh, involved or included in the compact, just the, the deficit criteria. Nezahrnuje v sobě automatické sankce, protože ty, ta rozhodnutí závisí na rozhodnutí Evropské komise, která jsou velmi často 
politická, nikoliv, nikoliv věcná. Uh, there is no system of uh, automatic sanctions that would be triggered. Uh, uh, there is actually, uh, or the, the, the decision is left up to the Commission, to the European Commission, and oftentimes uh, such decisions are very political, politically motivated. Takže z tohoto pohledu fiskální kompakt nepředstavuje žádný výrazný pokrok v porovnání s paktem stability. So I think that in this regard the fiscal compact does not really uh, represent any significant improvement in comparison with for instance the stability pact. Co se týče, co se týče Řecka. Co se týče, co se týče Řecka, jediným možným řešením jsou hluboké strukturální reformy nejenom řecké ekonomiky, ale v některých ohledech i řecké společnosti. So, as far as Greece is concerned, I think that the only solution is deep structural reforms, not only of the Greek economy, but also in many instances of the Greek society. Součástí toho musí být i důraz na konkurenceschopnost řecké ekonomiky. Also, there needs to be a strong impact on increasing the ensuring competitiveness of the Greek economy. Abych to uvedl na konkrétním příkladu, Česká republika a Řecko jsou přibližně stejně velké země z desíti miliony obyvatel. To give you a specific or concrete example, Czech Republic and Greece are comparable as far as the size and population of the country is concerned. So we're talking about 10 million people-ish. Přesto řecký export představuje všeho všudy jednu šestinu exportu České republiky. If you compare, however, the export of Greece and export of the Czech Republic, the, the Greek exports represent only one-sixth of the Czech one. Řecké mzdy v průmyslu v porovnání s rokem 2005 jsou vyšší o 35%. However, if you look at the wages in the industrial sector in 2005, they are actually 30, in, in Greece, they're 35% higher than Czech Republic. Ne, ne, než, než v roce, uh, sorry, dneska, sorry. než v roce 2005. Sorry, then, sorry, today they're 35% higher than in 2005, sorry. Uh, v Německu, které, které je ekonomicky výkonnější, jsou mzdy v průmyslovém sektoru proti roku 2005 vyšší o 6%. If you draw a comparison between Greece, where there's 35% differential, in Germany since 2005 it is no, uh, not more than 6%. A v České republice jsou o 4% nižší. And in the Czech Republic they're 4% lower. Myslím si, že ze srovnání těchto dvou čísel vidíme ten, ten rozdíl v konkurenceschopnosti. Já jsem přesvědčený, že primárně se problémy eurozóny musí vyřešit přímo v eurozóně a jakkoliv, jakkoliv může zbytek světa pomoci, tak Eurozóna v prvé řadě musí být schopná cestou strukturálních reform a fiskální disciplíny pomoci si sama. So, as far as your question about firewall is concerned, I think that primarily it should be the eurozone that, that, that must help itself out of the situation. Uh, eurozone should be able and capable of solving or resolving its own problems uh, through structural reforms and strong uh, fiscal discipline. 
Nevěřím, že je možné zachránit eurozónu zvenčí. So I do not believe that you can save or that the eurozone could be saved from the outside. Ale na druhé straně jsem přesvědčen, že stabilita eurozóny je zájmu nejenom neeurozónních členských zemí Evropské unie, ale i všech dalších významných ekonomických center, jako jsou Spojené státy nebo Čína. However, I do believe that the stability of the eurozone is not only important for the members of the eurozone or, uh, of Europe, however, also for the other strong economic centers of the world, be it the United States of America or China or others. Thank you, thank you. I'm very impressed by that graph of statistics, and I, I sympathise with the interpreter. It's when numbers come at you, it's a sort of it's a moment of panic. I know from my own experience. This is the reason why I, I'm using interpreter. <laughs> I think I, I, I can take some 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 more questions. I, I'd like. Um, I mean, they all seem to be at the bat. But uh, okay, so if you first, would, could, you, could you give your affiliation, please, as well? I should have said that at the beginning. But would you like to ask questions, sir? Back. You. Yes. Hi, um, my name is Paul Hannan. I'm uh, a reporter with Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal. Um, <clears throat> is it more than a coincidence that you're visiting the UK before this EU summit? Um, are you already in the process of forming a sort of gang of two uh, <laughs> that, that will combine to, to, to stand uh, against uh, the 25 um, as they sort of bind closer to each other and if that's the case um, would you like some new recruits and if so, if so uh, what would you say to Irish voters when they have to consider whether to approve uh, the fiscal compact uh, in a referendum in a few months time okay, I'll take a question down here please Hello I'm Abby I teach European political economy here um, you emphasize uh, com the importance of competitive manufacturing exports and the future of the European economy but all of the economies which produce these goods successfully uh, and I'm thinking of Scandinavia Northern Europe and Germany which is particularly important for the Czech economy none of them actually operate using the liberal deregulated supply side economic model that you're recommending for the European Union as a whole they are coordinated economies they Uh, have strong encompassing trades unions and business associations that agree to keep down wages. They have unemployment and employment protection to maintain that skills base and to give the incentives to maintain that skills base. Isn't there a danger if you go, if you push too hard on the liberalizing deregulatory model of the EU that you will kill exactly the creditor economies on which Europe currently depends? So whether we will try to create EU2? <laughs> uh, věřte mi to nebo mi to nevěřte. Believe it or not. Je to opravdu náhoda. It is really a coincidence. <laughs> Věřte mi to nebo nevěřte, my jsme tuto návštěvu Velké Británie naplánovali loni v létě. So believe it or not, we planned this official visit to the Great Britain uh, in fact last summer. A pak jsme velmi obratně dovedli Evropskou unii do tohoto stavu, aby to nevypadalo jako náhoda. And then we actually 
uh, made some twisting and turning and uh, turn European Union situation into such a situation that would actually make this coincidence not to look like a coincidence. <laughs> Já pouze můžu říci, že, že země jako Spojené království, ale také Nizozemsko a podobně, ať již jsou v eurozóně nebo nejsou v eurozóně, tak sdílí s námi silný důraz na pozbuzení konkurenceschopnosti našich ekonomik. However, let me say this, uh, the UK, the Netherlands and other countries which either are or not a part of Eurozone doesn't matter. They very much share with us uh, the impetus we want to put on uh, increasing and ensuring competitiveness. Proč klademe takový důraz na konkurenceschopnost a na liberalizaci právě v případě české ekonomiky? Why do we put so much impetus, so much importance on competitiveness and liberalization in relation, for instance, to the Czech economy? Protože patříme v podstatě mezi ekonomiky, které mají vůbec největší závislost na exportu. Uh, it is because our economy is one of those economies with the highest dependency on exports. Uh, I tak exportně orientovaná země jako Německo má poměr exportu k GDP uh, 50%. Even uh, such an export-oriented uh, country, such as Germany, has uh, the uh, exports versus GDP ratio 50%. Uh, země Opět které jsou proexportně orientovány jako Nizozemsko nebo skandinávské země, mají poměr exportu k HDP 65%. If you look at other countries, mentioned countries like the Netherlands or Scandinavia, here the ratio is 65%. A Česká republika v loňském roce dosáhla téměř 80%. Czech Republic last year reached nearly 80%. Jsme tedy jednou z nejvíce na exportu závislých ekonomik v Evropě. So as you can see, our economy is one of the highest dependent or the most dependent economies as far as exports are concerned. A když si navíc tomu přičtete, že podíl sekundárního sektoru na českém hrubém domácím produktu je 40%, což je vůbec nejvíce v celé Evropské unii, je náš důraz na liberalizaci obchodu z tohoto pohledu naprosto pochopitelný. So if you also look at uh, other figures such as the secondary uh, sector uh, versus GDP ratio it is around 40% which is the highest uh, figure in the whole of the European Union I think it is pretty self-evident why we place so much emphasis on liberalizing our economy. My samozřejmě vycházíme z rozdílných tradic jako například skandinávské země kde je vysoké pokrytí kolektivními smlouvami So if we uh, look at uh, various countries we of course come from different backgrounds we have different tradi uh, traditions so for instance uh, Scandinavia, Scandinavia is known for its tradition of collective agreements and its full coverage of collective agreements ve skandinávských zemích až 80% zaměstnanců je členy odboru v České republice je to méně než 15%. If you for instance look at trade union membership uh, so in, in Scandinavia uh, it is around 80% of all the workers that join the trade unions in the Czech Republic it is less than 15 1.5%. Nicméně i, i u nás tradice uh, tradice sociálního dialogu se ujala za posledních 20 let a i mzdové požadavky v soukromém sektoru v klíčové oblasti například průmyslu jsou z tohoto pohledu velmi uměřené. 
however, let me also say that for the past 20 years, we were very successful in introducing the tradition of uh, social dialogue. Uh, so for the tw uh, past 20 years, we've been taking into consideration this aspect. And for instance, if you look at the wages in the private sector uh, in specific uh, strategic areas, such as industrial sector, uh, I think the wages are pretty moderate. Také za posledních 20 let prakticky nenajdete příklad stávky v soukromém průmyslu. If you for instance look at the history 20 years back, you will not really see one single um, uh, strike uh, in private sector. Industrial sector. Industrial sector. Stávkuje se takřka výlučně ve veřejném sektoru. So, in fact, almost without any exceptions, most of the strikes, they actually relate to the public sector. You take one more question? Yeah. Oh, two more questions? Okay. You can take two more questions provided they're, they're, they're brief. Okay. Um, okay, I'll take one right at the back there, gentleman next to the, the camera, and then I'll take you up on the, uh, up on the top there. <laughs> that seems a fair distribution. You say you're not joining the fiscal compact now, but could you envisage the Czech Republic joining the fiscal compact at some point in the future? Okay, that's one. And could we have, we have one question from here? Um, dobrý večer. Dobrý večer. Um, yes, I will ask in English. <laughs> Please. So I wanted to see whether the um, Czech Prime Minister could try to answer a question, whether he thinks it is possible to have structural creditor and debtor state in a currency union. Česká republice se podařilo vyjednat v průběhu vyjednávání obsahu fiskálního kompaktu změnu jeho článku 15, to znamená možnost kdykoliv v budoucnosti přistoupit k fiskálnímu kompaktu. Uh, as a part of the negotiations regarding the fiscal compact, the Czech Republic uh, achieved uh, 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 a possibility uh, of change, uh, or we actually achieved the, ch the, the change of Article 15 uh, of the compact, which actually allows or makes it possible for the Czech Republic to join uh, the fiscal compact in the future if it chooses so. To znamená, že naše ne nepředstavuje konečné a výsledné ne. ne. So the Czech no does not mean final or irrevocable no. Ultimate no. <laughs> or ultimate no. Mimochodem, my jsme země, která nadále je přístupovou smlouvou vázána přistoupit k euro. If you look at the accession treaty, we're still bound as the member states by the rule of adopting euro. A součástí přistoupení k euro pro jakoukoliv nečlenskou zemi eurozóny bude povinnost i přistoupit několika smlouvám, včetně fiskálního kompaktu. And should a country outside the eurozone choose to adopt euro, it will automatically has to sign uh, several agreements and one of them is the fiscal compact. May I ask you to repeat your your yeah. question? Um, you can ask in Czech if you like, and no, it can be interpreted. Czech, but actually, I can ask the question better in English. Um, whether it is possible to have 
So whether whether it is possible, so we can look at the current European Union. Simply, it's possible. <laughs> it doesn't work, but it's possible. Thank <laughs> you. I think that's an appropriate point to, to end. Before you all move, please, I, I need a, to do a couple of housekeeping things. First of all, uh, I would ask you to remain in your seats, please, until after I've escorted the Prime Minister out of the theatre. The second, second thing to say, I think, is to thank you, the audience. I mean, to thank you for all the questions that have helped us have such a, a productive uh, dialogue and discussion. And just on a personal level, can I say, I think this has been one of the most good-natured uh, lectures that I, I've ever shared. There's a really warm feeling inside the, the lecture uh, hall, so I'd like to thank you for that as well as, as, well as the Prime Minister. I mean, it's been a, you know, a great pleasure for me personally, for the LSE, uh, and I think for you as well, to think to the Prime Minister and to engage with him on these issues. Prime Minister, we have a tradition at the LSE that we <coughs> hope we will help us to continue uh, this evening. Uh, first of all, I'd like to present you with a a formal certificate which recognises your visit and which is signed by the director. Secondly, when Nelson Mandela came and spoke here, we gave him an LSE baseball cap and since then we presented prime ministers, presidents and business leaders with one and here is yours. <laughs> so thank you very much.